Welcome to The Nature Photographer on Wild and Exposed, your source for the behind-the-scenes secrets of today's top photographers working in wildlife, conservation, and fine arts. The Nature Photographer is produced in collaboration with NANPA, the North American Nature Photography Association. Thanks for joining us. So welcome to another episode of NAMPA's The Nature Photographer podcast brought to you by Wild and Exposed. So I'm Dawn Wilson. I'm here as a representative of NAMPA along with Jason Loftus, Mark Raycroft, and Ron Hayes. And we're going to try something a little bit different this week. We actually have a question that's been posed by one of our NAMPA members, and we're going to answer that for her. So since this is a little bit of a shorter episode with just that one question, let's jump right on into it. So the question she had asked was a specific one about where to find places to photograph wildflowers in Connecticut in March and April. And since none of us live in Connecticut, I, I don't think any of us can specifically provide any good locations for that specific question. That being said, however, all of us have always done a lot of traveling. So we all have to find information about where to go when we go to a new place. So I thought we could talk a little bit about that. Um, and in particular, I've spent several months this, this past winter down in Louisiana, and I did a lot of that kind of research to find new locations as well as revisiting other locations I had gone back to. So I thought you guys could, pro could provide some insight into maybe if you're visiting a new location, how do you find what you're looking for? As I'm sure we all have goals that we do when we go on our different trips. I'll go first. I call Mark because he has researched everybody's Instagram account. <laughs> Funny guy. <laughs> but that's true. Instagram is a great place to, to, to start a search. It is. Yeah. In all honesty, um, every state typically, or most states have photo contests. And so one place to go and look is like, for instance, Wyoming wildlife, magazine has a photo contest every year in December or in the late fall. And then those images are published in January. If you look and read the stories, a lot of times there will, there will be, it won't be exact locations, but there will be locations close to where those images were taken, or at least you can get a general area. So then you narrow it down to, you know, for wildlife anyway, parks, um, popular locations for, for wildlife. The other thing is, you know, just like if you're, if you're going out to look for, for wildlife in a particular location, I would then look at topo maps to try to narrow it down, find food, cover, shelter, that kind of thing. And then that would narrow down my search. If it was a new area that I didn't know anything about for wildflowers, obviously, you know, large open parks that are not manicured um you know in connecticut there's a lot of metropolitan areas so true wildflowers are going to be a little bit more difficult to find so you've got to find areas that are less populated and then you might be getting into private land issues so you've got to you know to find the public areas within the the rural areas of the state that's how i would narrow it down obviously food cover and shelter would not apply to wildflowers. 
I know um, in the past I've gone out to Texas to photograph blue bonnets and I've gone to California to photograph the poppies in the spring. And what I did for those trips is I would go on Facebook and a lot of times there's Facebook groups that that's all they post is their seasonal groups. Um, Colorado has the same thing for fall colors and you just find these groups and then you join them. And then a lot of times people say, Hey, I just saw this today or I saw that yesterday. They'll post some pictures and those can be always really helpful too. But again, it goes back to kind of like with Instagram, the keywords and the hashtags that, that people are adding and it'll give you a good starting place that you can then kind of narrow down and find, find one keyword. And then you do a little bit deeper, deeper diving into finding out more specifics about it. You know, is it a sunrise location? Is it a sunset location? What kinds of flowers might be there? What kinds of landscapes might be there? What kind of access, like Ron said, it might be a private situation. I, honestly, there, I don't, there's no better time in history to find locations than now with just access to information online. It's unlimited. It's all up to your imagination and what you put in there. Social media and what Ron and, and I mentioned earlier, Instagram is the place. It used to be we have to bump into somebody, meet somebody at a conference, talk to somebody to find locations and, and have their trust in their sharing it unless it's somebody somewhere super public like a national park but nowadays with with social media it's one of the things that i enjoy about instagram is those people that are willing to divulge their secret spots for species or flowers or anything in nature that might appeal to you it's out there it's just a matter of finding it and then you can save it on instagram with that little flag on the right and, and that's exactly what i do when somebody posts something of a type of wildlife that i prefer to photograph I just archive those in the saved file on Instagram. And as Don was alluding to, just do a hashtag search. It could be a hashtag that you for a location. If you want to go to this national park, you want to go, whether it's Connecticut or anywhere else on the planet, you hashtag. And of course, you'll have to sift through. At first, uh, it'll come up showing the most popular posts, but you can also toggle to the most recent and as you surf through, there may not be wildflowers, there may not be nature, there may not be animals, but some of those will be. So even if it's one out of every 20, you might find an image and then you click on it and you'll learn slowly that way about this potential area that you'd like to photograph in. Honestly, it's just phenomenal what you can learn so quickly online. And this the same thing doesn't have to be social media like Instagram. You could go on Google and type in words and say wildflower photography connecticut just type that in and see what comes up click on the image toggle and look at all the images and then some of those images may have specific locations they may mention a park or a conservation area state park or wherever this was taken and through sifting sifting through that information can reveal a tremendous amount sometimes in just a matter of minutes and then you can go back and change your keyword search to something else and it really there's no better time in history as far as sharing information. And there's a Ron pointed out. I mean, there are clubs or on Facebook. Um, there are groups, and I joined a group. I was invited into one this week on Facebook. And the number of people that put the location where their animals were photographed—that's impressive. So the resources are there. Unlike almost, I won't repeat myself for the sixth time, but. Unlike any other time in history, that you can find so much online, no matter which search engine you go through or using social media. 
it's exciting. You can you could plan a year long trip like our friend Don Wilson did, <laughs> traveling across the continent. There's so much out there to be found. And that was when I did the blue bonnets. It was exactly that. We were oh, driving really? through Texas and I'm like, Oh, it's blue bonnet season. I was like, Let me find and within two days I was, you know, out on trails and finding you know, different information. The other thing too, you know, Mark mentioned that, you know, you do a Google search. A lot of people write blog posts now. You know, they'll do a trip and then they write a, a blog post about that trip, literally outlining what their whole trip looked like, you know, where they went, what they photographed, and they'll give all kinds of details. If some place is really popular for a particular type of photography, like the Palouse in Washington has a map that'll actually show you the photo hotspots, um, you know, down in Texas, like I said, there's some information about blue bonnets. The one thing I would caution people about is that the information is out there. <clears throat> the information is definitely available. Just be really sensitive about what you post yourself to, um, you know, because the more information that people post out in out in the uh, interweb out there, you know, the more that you're going to attract other people potentially to that location. And we want to make sure that we're kind of protecting this and not trampling places and and stressing wildlife and that kind of thing too. So be cautious of that and. And that's part of the reason why we don't get into real specific locations and information on this podcast. Um, but the information is definitely available if you're willing to do a little bit of a, of a time search, you know, a, a, time, a crunch in information. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I don't really know that I have much to add other than I'll just say a couple things that just came to mind as you guys were talking about it. I mean, everything's spot on. Only thing I'd add is maybe I can use an example. I went to Glacier couple summers ago and it's my first time going to glacier so i did literally all the things you guys were talking about and i found a blog that talked about 10 most amazing things to photograph in glacier and i was oh, okay cool and that gave me some ideas and that talked a little about is it a morning shoot is it an evening shoot you know it was really good as a photographer's blog um but the, at the end of the day in all honesty what i've learned is that do all the planning you can and it'll help you but you probably still need to go into it with the mindset that it's an exploratory trip you know, you're going to just kind of fill it out, learn it, and get, go into it with that mindset, and you'll still have an amazing time, and you'll learn some really good things. And then, if you you know, next time you go, you'll know. You know what I mean? One of those kind of things. So to me, that's important to keep in mind just because I've I've had <laughs> – I've used this on the podcast before, but I did a Denali trip, had a very similar experience, and I was ready to fill memory cards and burn batteries, and it wasn't quite that that kind of a trip. But I mean, and I, and I kind of felt like I, uh, didn't get the most out of it because I went into it with the wrong mindset. So just something to think about. Can I add something to that? Great advice is once you're there, talk to locals as well. Mm -hmm. And there have been places I've gone to and my wildlife trip was failing. And I just happened to talk to other people who were out taking nature pictures and heard, oh, well, did you hear about the caribou that were over here? And, I, and they, they shared that information and made my trip. So by communicating with locals, what you're doing, what you're there, the, with your enthusiasm, there's a, there's a great opportunity for people who know the area to share with you as well once once you're in, in the vicinity. There's a wonderful couple from Maine that were in Newfoundland, and I was on an assignment, and I needed caribou images. And they went for a, a long drive uh, Two-hour round trip, came back and showed me these pictures on the back of their camera. And I was, I was just googly-eyed. I was like, wow, where is that? And they told me where. And the next day, I was heading there. And it was, yeah, 
Mm. It is now one of my go-to places. That's cool. Yeah, it's, you know, visitor centers can be good if, you know, like in particular with this question that, you know, botanical gardens just go into the, the front desk. You know, people that are into flowers are going to talk about flowers. If people are into caribou or moose, they're going to talk about caribou and moose. So, you know, they're they're going to want to chat about those interests. Um, the other thing I was going to mention is Ron was talking or um, Jason was talking about going to a location and not having such high expectations. The other thing you want to do is when you go to a new location is try not to do the tripod holes all the time too. you know, try to have an open mind and try to make some photographs, your own photographs and not just copy what other people were posting on Instagram or other places in your search for new locations. Yeah, that's a really good point. I did that in Glacier. It's it's actually interesting because I you see the typical picture of the places in Glacier, and then I always would try to say, okay, okay, I can vision that. Okay, there's that shot. Now, how do I make it my own? Right? How, how do I get a different perspective? You know, whatever it might be. And sometimes it's fun to even try to get that same shot, but then I also try to get some different perspectives too. So that's a really good point. You know, if you're looking for wildlife. I don't know that these resources are available for wildflowers. They may be in some of the groups that you guys are talking about. But a lot of times, you know, you go to the the Game and Fish website and they have the ability for you to search locations, especially of rare animals in the state. They'll, you know, kind of create these clusters of sightings. And I think, you know, in particular in Wyoming, fishers are rare. And that's, you know, it's a species that I've seen in the mountains, but I've not ever been able to photograph. I've only seen them once in the state. So you go look for these clusters of locations and you still might not see a fisher, but at least, you know, you're spending the time in the areas where they have been prevalent before. And you're, you know, you're not spinning your wheels. You're, you're kind of limiting the search, so to speak. There are a lot of birding sites like that too, that list where, things have been seen and you can, you know, strategically outline and see what's happening and, and get these nucleus areas where they're being found. Now they usually omit owls from that because of how many people flock to them. But for a lot of bird sightings, you can map that out. Uh, Another thing you could reach out to camera clubs or go on their websites, Google search that if there are clubs in the area and see what they highlight and feature. And there's another significant variance that I've found in my travels, too. If you're in highly populated tourist areas like big national parks that get millions of people, the staff are obviously friendly. It's their job to support tourism and educate people and inform people and make everyone's trip as pleasant as possible. But they may not share as much information to photographers in some of these parks, but lesser populated areas I've found the staff, the biologists, the park staff to be sometimes extremely supportive and willing to share information, practically take me by the hand to where the moose are. If it's in areas that aren't as heavily, um, sorry, don't have as much tourism, it's exciting for them to encounter photographers. It seems old school compared to the Western parks that I do spend time in as well. But some of the more remote parks, they're, they're quite willing to help and you can gain a lot of information. It could be through a phone, phone call, even at the beginning, you're planning to go there. It doesn't have to be in person, but I would highly recommend if it's a quieter area to go in person and talk to them. The visitor centers were mentioned earlier, and I have found those to be great resources at times in some parks. It could be surprising. 
Mm-hmm. I almost forgot the most important one, your NAMPA membership. I mean, that's what, you know, Best part to of being a member of NAMPA. You know, you know, we have a membership directory. If you are a member of NAMPA, you can access the membership directory and find people that are local to either that area or if you're, if you live in that area, go out with, you know, reach out to a couple of other NAMPA members within your general vicinity and go out to, to do some photography with them. Maybe not right now with COVID still going on, but you know, once we kind of get over that, um, and then we can kind of start doing those types of things too. And then there's the NAMPA Facebook page. You, know, you could pose a question on there maybe. Yeah. I, the, the only thing that came to my mind is when people, you know, cause with what we do, people reach out to us all the time, asking us for locations and stuff. And I can tell you from my personal experience, that if somebody comes to me and it's clear that they've done some homework, that they put some work in to try to understand what's going on, and they've narrowed down some situations or some areas, some scenarios, when they come to me and ask me those questions, I'm more willing to help, right? So don't just go in blind to somebody and say, hey, tell me where you shot this amazing photo, right? I mean, go into it with a little different perspective and do some of your own research. I think people are willing to help those people that are willing to help themselves as well, right? So just some food for thought. I know for me, that's something that I, I don't know why, but tend to, <laughs> I'm more willing to help those that are willing to help themselves. Put it that way. Yeah. No taken. I'll make sure I do that next time, Jason. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the last one, one that we did kind of overlook is spend a little bit of money. There's people out there that make their living guiding in some of these areas. And even if you don't spend a full week with them, Spending a day or two is going to give you the lay of the land. It's going to, you know, just in general conversation while you're out, it's going to give you some information about, you know, you can narrow down or that you can use to narrow down where you want to spend your time, that kind of thing. So, you know, give them the benefit of giving them some of your business as well as the opportunity to gain some of their wisdom. I think it's always money well spent or it has been for me. Yeah, you kind of shortcut that whole exploratory portion of the right. of the journey by doing that. And it's sometimes if you're not going to get back for a long time, it's well worth that money for sure. Absolutely. Well, I think there's a lot of good information in that short amount of time, honestly. Those are all excellent points. And I think this was a great first question to bring to our podcast here and kind of give, you know, some different hacks that, that we've used and hopefully other people will find them helpful as well. So I think on that note, we will sign off for this week and be sure to join us for the next episode of the nature photographer podcast brought to you by wild and exposed.